And thank you so much, folks. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 1 tonight. Last week, we did an introduction, and uh, this week, we're going to actually have our first um, actual look at the book in terms of going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, if you weren't with us last week, and if you were, I'll just kind of briefly kind of reintroduce this conversation and this study to you. Um, we did an introduction last week in an outline of the, our brand new study in the book of Jeremiah. We're calling this study Covenant uh, because Jeremiah is all about God's covenant with Israel. Uh, of course, the Old Testament as, as a whole is anchored in this series of covenants that God made with Israel. Um, and the entire narrative kind of comes to a head in the book of Jeremiah. If you want to just kind of get a general idea of the Old Testament and of God's plan with Israel and purpose through Israel, you read Genesis, you read the first part of Exodus, you read uh, First and Second Samuel, and you kind of get the idea, okay, God called a nation, he started a nation, he made a covenant with this people, and then if you want to really kind of understand, you know, where it was all going, ultimately, read Jeremiah, uh, because Jeremiah talks about how the nation of Israel didn't really become what it was meant to be, but all that was a part of God's plan, as it was really laying the foundation for something even better, something that was bigger than just a brick and mortar, something bigger than just lines on a map, something that was going to be global, something that was going to be universal, and something that was going to be for all people. Uh, Jeremiah is where that narrative kind of comes to a head, and this book really focuses on how the two parties, um, Israel and God, understood this covenant and how they had this covenantal relationship. And of course, covenant just means promise. It's just a fancy word. Um, it kind of sounds more official, right? Um, in our modern language, we would say the word contract, right? A contract is just a promise that you make with somebody, but it's one that's written with ink and signed and, and all that stuff. A covenant is just a religious contract, if you want to think about it in that, um, that, that frame of mind. But in Jeremiah, we see kind of how both parties understood their covenant, um, how both parties understood their relationship. Um, we see that God was faithful. We see the blessings of God's faithfulness to Israel. The reason why that there is a book of Jeremiah, the reason why they got to this point in history is because God had been good to Israel. God had been faithful to Israel long after Israel had left God, in terms of being faithful, God remained faithful to Israel. And we see how blessed they were, but we also see the consequence and the consequences of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And they had really kind of been building, and it all comes to a head in this book. Um, that thread is present and clear in this book, as well as the notion that these old covenants, specifically the covenant God made with Moses and through Moses to the people, this old covenant had sort of run its course and that a new one was necessary. And maybe you, you, you went through this. Uh, first thing that came to my mind was life insurance, right? It kind of has a term to it. You have to renegotiate the terms at a certain point in your life. Um, also, you know, you refinance your mortgage, you refinance your car, you know, you renegotiate a contract, maybe a business deal. You had a partnership that lasted for a few years, but it's time to renegotiate. Jeremiah is really about a renegotiation. Uh, it's, it's this obvious, it's apparent to both parties that, hey, this covenant we've got with each other, it just is working not because God wasn't faithful to his people but they weren't being faithful to him and it wasn't changing them at their hearts God knew they needed something different they needed something better so Israel had changed a lot since the original documents had been drafted the world had changed uh, and renegotiation was past due but if things were to be done on the basis of merit there was no way Israel would ever get a sweet deal like it got originally. Um, I mean, if this was, you know, if you've ever sat down with somebody and you kind of, you know, reflect on how things have been in the partnership, um, if, if you were in God's shoes, Israel across the table, you would think, 
you know, you really haven't lived up to your part of this deal, and there's no way you're getting as good of a deal this next time because you've really blown it um, the last several hundred years. So if it was going to be based on how they had done, there's no way Israel's going to get anything uh, good because it had been so lopsided, God had been so good, they had been so bad. Um, yet what makes this story and really the Bible so beyond us is that things don't play out the way we'd anticipate it or the way we ever deserve them to. Yes, the consequences of breaking from the established way were fast approaching, and they were really a long time coming. And yes, Israel was going to suffer the consequences. But what comes to the surface in this book is the impossible nature um, of those earlier covenants uh, to begin with. And, and really, kind of, we realize that those covenants God made through Moses and, 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 and Abraham and David, they were never going to last because Israel never was going to be able to keep their part of the deal. Fallen humanity. Fallen humanity could not merit its way back into fellowship with God. It was at the mercy. We are at the mercy. But Old Testament Israel just symbolized that humanity was at the mercy of God's forbearance, God's long-suffering heart. And the reason why was because humanity's heart was too far gone. And a verse that's going to be one of the most uh, important verses we're going to read in Jeremiah back down in chapter 17, humanity's heart was so sick with sin, there was no cure There's no book where that's on display more than in Jeremiah. Yet, the silver lining of this book, and what makes it so amazing, the silver lining of this book is that while God signals a day of reckoning is approaching, He also promises that a better covenant is going to be established. So there's a lot of doom and gloom in Jeremiah. There's a lot of, you broke the law, you're going to suffer the consequences. But there's also so much hope in Jeremiah. We began with this whole study by looking at chapter 29 last week where God promises, yes, I'm deporting you to another country. Yes, you're going to be in exile for a couple, a couple 70 years. Yes, you're going to be away from the promised land. But I have not let, down, let go of my promises. I am going to renegotiate and I'm going to establish an even better covenant. No, you don't deserve it. But my heart won't let anything less come your way. So, this new and better covenant, one that would establish even more than the first, it would compensate for the frailties and the fragile nature of our hearts and provide true and real reconciliation to God. But before all that could happen, the story of Judah had to play out because God had a plan and he had to send Judah around the Middle East to let the whole world know who, his, who the real God was and who his people were. And ultimately, Jeremiah, uh, the moral of the story that we're going to learn from Jeremiah is we are forever reminded, we're forever reminded of our sinful nature, and Jeremiah forever highlights God's loving kindness. So if you want to take away two things from Jeremiah, you're going to be reminded of your sinful nature. I know that's not something you like to be reminded of. That's not really something that feels good, right? There's a lot of chapters of Jeremiah that are going to be hard for me to preach because they're so convicting, right? I remember the first time I read through Jeremiah uh, with intent and with, uh, you know, attention being paid. I got some of these chapters and I thought, if I ever stand in front of a church and say that, I'll get thrown out or everybody will leave. You know, that, that's just, I never thought, hey, I can't believe that's in the Bible. But there's a lot of things in here that uh, though our nature is evident, we also are reminded of God's loving kindness, and it is so much better 
then our sinful nature is bad. As we study Jeremiah, while it's evident something is falling apart, there's also this constant reminder that there's a greater plan coming together behind the scenes, and it's going to be awesome studying this book together. So I encourage you, uh, read ahead. Uh, we're, we're going to try to look at every chapter, try to look at every verse. That might happen, sometimes not happen. Uh, we might group some things together. You kind of know how we do things by now. Um, but I do encourage you, read these chapters, get a study Bible, um, look at a newer translation that kind of helps you understand maybe what your favorite one is telling you, um, because there's so much good things that really helps, um, that, that, that will help our Christian walk and kind of understand it from these two lens, that God is revealing to us our sin, but also highlighting his kindness. So Jeremiah is a story that is told in intense circumstances. It's a story that's told under attack. As he's writing it, he is under attack. The nation is under attack. The nation of Judah is on a crash course for destruction. If there was a doomsday clock, it was at 1155. Um, and it was just slowly ticking uh, or quickly ticking toward midnight. The people have forsaken their commandment and their commitment to God, yet God remains committed to them. Um, even though they had some godly kings, Hezekiah, Josiah, um, that led righteous reform, their efforts weren't enough to undo the damage of the likes of Ahaz and Manasseh. And then the last few kings, the revolving door of Jehoaz and Jehoiakim and Jeconiah, Ultimately, Zedekiah, these four are, are just miserable, miserable leaders that see the nation redefine what worst-case scenario means. Um, God raises up Jeremiah. God bless his heart uh, for what he had to go through. Uh, he raises up Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is more than just a messenger from God. He really is kind of by proxy in the place of God and, and really represents God in this story. The way Jeremiah passionately pursues his people while being zealous for what is right and what is just up against a people that are rebellious against God, that reject Jeremiah's message and reject him, it really portrays God's relationship with Israel. Jeremiah comes on the scene and from day one, he's seen as a nuisance, he's seen as annoying, they throw him in a well, they throw him in jail, they put him in stocks, they try to muzzle him, yet his words are the only thing keeping the nation from going completely off the deep end. And while he could have just let them go headlong, he could not because he loved them too much and he was dedicated too greatly to them. And frankly, he was too good for them. But that's God's heart toward us. That's God up against us, right? Um, not just the God in the Old Testament with Israel, but all of us as we relate to God. God is too good for us, yet he pursues us all the more. We see this same thing play out when God becomes a man. Jeremiah truly is a picture of Jesus' ministry and remains a picture of God's posture towards a rebellious world. But what we learn from Jeremiah's ministry that is unique and makes it a worthwhile study is that while Jeremiah represents God, he is just a man. So whereas he might be a picture of Jesus, we can relate to Jeremiah, I think, a little bit more because Jeremiah is one of us, right? He's just a real boy. He's a real guy who pulled his hair out on more days than one and really wanted to give up several times. But what we learn from Jeremiah, and this is the point of tonight's study, what we learn from Jeremiah and what really uh, just took me, uh, took my heart with this, this book did to me years and years ago is Jeremiah the person and the ministry of Jeremiah um, reveals something very, very important to us. We learn that we have the capacity to possess a true passion for God 
and his people. We have the potential to remain steadfast under fire and committed to the greater cause God has called us on even when we're under a great amount of pressure. That's what Jeremiah is going to teach us. That you have a capacity for a true passion for God and for God's people. It may be hard to love people. It may be hard to always stay devoted to God. But Jeremiah teaches you, he teaches us that we have a capacity to truly be passionate for God and be passionate for his people and remain steadfast even when the world says not having it. I believe the word we need to hear from God that, ex- that extends this invitation to us is found in these early verses. We looked briefly at it last week, but I want to give full attention. I really break down uh, what uh, really are more than just memory verses, but actually can change our approach to everyday life. And this first chapter deals with this idea. We have a God-given desire and capacity for a life of purpose. Now, purpose is a big word, right? It's a buzzword in our culture today because everybody wants it and everybody's trying to find it, right? And everybody wants to feel it. Jeremiah 1 is going to teach you, and it may, it's going to be radically different from what the world says about purpose. It's going to be radically different from what your nature says about purpose. But I want you to listen to this so closely because this could change your life because it's changed mine. And this really, you'll probably, you probably will be able to hear a lot of the other messages I've preached on this subject kind of through the, through the filter of this message because this is really what has informed me so much in my ministry. You have a God-given desire and capacity for a life of true purpose. And the reason why I think this can be revolutionary and open our eyes to a whole reality that we're missing, we all spend our lives looking for purpose. We pray for it, we think about it, we read books about it, we listen to people talk about it for inspiration. But here's the thing. Our world's idea of purpose and God's idea of purpose are two different things and they are literally at odds with each other. I want to talk about the world's idea for purpose first because this is going to be very familiar to you because it's what we think is how to get purpose. The world defines purpose as what external thing is going to make me feel better inside. What thing can I get What job, what identity, what possession can I wrap my arms around? What person can I get with? What thing of this world, apart from me, what external thing can I wrap my arms around and can I obtain that's going to make me feel better inside? That's what the world says purpose is. What can I get? Where can I get to? Where can I arrive at? What number can get beside my name on my bank account? What thing, what external possession or object can I get that will make me feel better and complete and full? We've all been trained by our society to chase after this, haven't we? Even if it's something that's contrary to who you are and what's inside of you, I just need to buy into that or join something to compensate for what I'm missing. And here's the, 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 the slimy thing about this agenda. The world masks this chase for purpose in a celebration of self and individuality. And, it's, and it says, oh, this is about finding out who you really are and getting what you're made for. But in reality, this is nothing more, than, nothing more than a trap that makes us feel inadequate and unqualified and disqualified apart from a system of this world. And the whole process, we try to get something and we never get the thing that we think we're going to get. And when we do get something, it doesn't change anything. 
and we're trained and we're trapped in this, this self-esteem, right? We look in the mirror and think, there's something wrong with me. That's what's keeping me from purpose. People go down this road, we never find fulfillment, but rather spend our lives chasing after something that cannot be obtained, all the while feeling as if we have no place in this world and need someone or something's validation or approval to be considered as making it. Meanwhile, and thank God for this, God offers true purpose. At first, his idea may seem weird and wrong, but that's just because we're so trained and frankly, we're deceived by this world and the enemies of God. You see, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, true purpose is what internal gift can I use to better or bless my surroundings? True purpose is God created you. God wants to redeem you and reclaim you. And that God made you a unique soul. And that God made you a special individual. And yes, there's some things in you that might need to go out, but there's a core individual. There's a unique soul. There's someone that God breathed into existence. There's someone that God molded into creation. And that God has put a unique internal gift inside every one of us that can be used to bless and make better our world. And just because somebody might reject you doesn't mean that everybody will but more importantly God says you're mine I made you and I've got big plans for you see the world says you'll never measure up to what we deem as making making it or having a purpose but God says it's not about measuring up it's about realizing who made you and humbling yourself and accepting what God is calling you to do Whereas the world says it's something from the outside that makes the inside better, God says it's something from within that can make and have an impact on the world without. This is what God reveals to Jeremiah in chapter 1 and what I think he wants to leave with us tonight. Because here's the thing, Jeremiah spends his whole ministry doubting himself. He prays for God to take his life more than once because he just wasn't accepted by the world. And he thought all the time that something was missing. And God tells him in chapter 1 that that line of thought is from hell and is only trying to keep him from being who he was made to be. Listen to these words that God tells Jeremiah in these first 10 verses. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah. So that's that, those several kings I was talking about. Until Zedekiah was carried away um, when Jerusalem was, was taken captive. So gives us the whole kind of scope, several, several decades. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified or appointed you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So I put something in you, Jeremiah, that was meant to go out into the world to make the world a better place. And then Jeremiah says, Lord, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. Jeremiah was a child, probably a teenager, but in that day and age, you weren't considered an adult until you were 30 in terms of being qualified for, for a big, you know, uh, an important job. 
Lord, I cannot speak. I'm just a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all who I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Their faces, what does that mean? That means the way they give you approval, the way they signal their response. Don't be afraid. Because it's not about how they respond. For I am with you to deliver you from that trap, from those think, that line of thought. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I've put a gift in you. See, I have set this, see, I have this day set you over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down, and build, and plant. I'm using you to knock down everything that is and build something better. In his place. These are such powerful verses, and I hope that the rest of this uh, message can bless your heart. Building on what we've just talked about, here's the thing. We learn in Jeremiah that within every one of us is a sinful heart, so I don't want to dance around this. Yes, Jeremiah is going to teach us that we have a sinful heart, but what God just tells Jeremiah in this opening chapter is before sin poisoned the hearts of humans, God designed it and predestined it for a life of purpose. Yes, there's some flaws in us. Yes, there's some sin, a lot of sin in us. Yes, sin has poisoned our heart, but God designed it knowing what was going to happen, which is all the more amazing, right? He designed it knowing it was going to get poisoned. He predestined us beyond that poison for a life of purpose. And God's statement to Jeremiah is really one of redemption and reclamation. God says, Jeremiah, I'm reclaiming you for my own. I've redeemed what sin has tried to destroy, and I'm going to use you for a very specific, special purpose. Now, we see that God wants to work through Jeremiah to impact his surrounding world, to show them that though sin has built a stronghold, God is sending salvation. Notice God's word to Jeremiah, words of assurance. Verse 5, before I formed you, I knew you. So this is God saying, I knew who you were going to be, good and bad. And after you read the whole story, you know that God's telling Jeremiah, I know your faults. I know your flaws. So when you look in the mirror and you think, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm too unqualified. I'm too disqualified. I'm too far gone. God says to you, I knew that about you before I made you. And when the enemy says there's no hope, God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I made you. I formed you. I sanctified you, I ordained you. Of course, Jeremiah says, well, God, uh, I've, got some, uh, I've got some inabilities. I, I'm not able to do this. I've got all these things that prevent me. And God says, no, 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 no. You think that. But I say, I'm sending you and I'm commanding you. You should not be and cannot be afraid because I am with you. God promises him that he has a purpose for him. It doesn't require Jeremiah to lose himself or become somebody he wasn't meant to be in, a wor in the world. God made Jeremiah to be Jeremiah. This is something that is so important for everybody here to hear. I don't care if you've been in this life a while or you're just getting started. God made Jeremiah to be Jeremiah, not somebody else. I love Psalm 139. You've all heard this before, but God says to David, or through David, 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. What are God's works? Us, right? David says, my soul knows. Yes, there's some sin that has covered and has kind of built up on my heart. But my soul knows deep down where I came from. And I'm not going to let sin distract me from you. David says, my frame was not hidden from you. That means God isn't embarrassed, right, of us. He loves us. We were intricately woven way down here on earth, but God controlled and ordained all that from heaven. Here's what God is telling us through this word in Jeremiah, through this word in Psalms. God made you to be you. And you have a very special, unique purpose in this life. Sin cannot overshadow God's unique gift and calling over your life. Now, you, may can, you can let it, but God is greater than your sin. Here's something I learned a long time ago, and I'll just talk from my point of view as a pastor, as a preacher. I struggled a long time, but I've come a long way thanks to God's help. God didn't form me and didn't appoint me to become somebody, somebody else, to conform to somebody else's vision of me before he could use me. When I first started in ministry, I had people lining up telling me what I needed to be before I could actually be in ministry. <laughs> of course, they didn't, I didn't know that, right? God called me to be me, right? God called me. He saved me. Yes, there's sin he wants to purge, but there's a unique soul he wants to purpose. That's for all of us. I can speak to this in regards to ministry. I grew up and started in ministry, and everybody that got into ministry seemed like they went through this machine and turned into the same person. They wore their hair the same way, wore the same clothes, liked the same things. And listen, none of that was really biblical tradition. It was just standards of the generation we were living in. And I used to think that I guess I'm going to have to go through that same car wash and come out looking like that same person if I'm ever going to make it in ministry. But thankfully... God, with his mighty and merciful hand, saved my soul all over again because I was on a roll road to trade my soul in for somebody I wasn't. And yes, I might have would have made it down a different road in life, but I would have done it in a miserable fashion and would have betrayed who God called me to be. That would have been the end of God using me for the purpose he called me. And here's why I say that. Because if there's peer pressure in ministry, there's peer pressure everywhere, isn't there? Moms have it, dads have it, husbands have it, wives have it, children have it, business owners have it. We all have it, right? But my word to you tonight is God wants to use you for His glory. You for His he has given each and every one of us, of you, unique interests, passions, and capabilities. Don't cast them off and attempt to copy somebody else. Take those gifts that God has given you and put in you and say to God, how can I use these for you? How can I use these for your glory? Because here's where we're going with this. Remember, we talked about purpose. This is where we started. Purpose is a means to an end. A means to an end. We think purpose is about receiving something. No, no, no. Purpose is about being somebody. Purpose is not arriving at a place in life where you have everything that you think you need. Purpose is about living every day, being somebody you were meant to be. 
No possession or person is going to make you feel like you've got a purpose. Being the person you were made to be is how you have purpose. God created us to, to be someone for His glory. He's given us unique gifts, passions, personalities, interests, opportunities, so that we can be somebody unique for Him. There's only one of you. Just as much as we don't need to try to be somebody else, we can't pursue our interests and enjoy them in a vacuum. God knows that each of us has the potential to impact the world in a different way so that our intersections of life will feature many, many people who don't know God and otherwise would not encounter God if we weren't there and if God wasn't there in us. So why is it important that you be you for the glory of God? Because you're going to intersect people I never will. You're going to reach people I never will. You're going to meet people I never will. And God through you is going to change and bless their lives. So we can chase after purpose, but don't look for it out there. Look for it in here and see what God has already given you. And let's pray. Let's begin to pray. How can we leverage our passions in a way that makes our world better and blesses those around us? Now listen, by all means, if we just be us and we just live in a corner and we don't consider other people, we'll not be, we'll not be fulfilled that way either. But the person God has made you to be, He wants you to be that person in a way that makes your world better and blesses those around you. And only you can do it the way you've been made to do it. Something important to remember when it comes to purpose. Purpose is always just across the border of what's in it for me. See, we have what we love and we have our passions, but the next step you take as a Christian who has been made unique and fearfully and wonderfully is how can I use this? How can I leverage this? Because purpose is found just across the border. And all the while, you get to enjoy what God has given you to enjoy, but you get to share it with somebody else too. And that's where the true joy comes from. This frames the, the New Testament, uh, the commands to, uh, the frames that the New Testament commands us to be a Christian through um, is really in that lens, right? Is loving each other as we've been called to be. And also being, those, being that light, being that person that God uses in a very specific way. But here's the thing. We're not generic lights. We're not scattered salt. We're not random places of refuge. Remember Jesus said, you're light, you're salt, you're refuge. But you're not just random, scattered, generic vessels. You are unique. You are specifically placed in this life. And you're going to be a light and you're going to be salt and you're going to be refuge in a place that I might never reach. That's why it's important that you be you for the glory of God. You see, for too long, Christians have separated recreation from service. See, church has trained us. Well, I do some things out there. I do some things in here. Monday through Saturday, I'm this person. Sunday, I'm this person. No, no, no. If we would just be who we've been made to be for the glory of God, we would make so much more difference, right? No wonder Christians hardly ever share the gospel because we do things in hours of witnessing designated on a certain time of the year and we've been trained to separate and segment our lives. The church has built walls, not bridges. When we should have been taught all along, God has given us unique passions and we can use the platforms He's placed us to point people to Him. The church has trained many of us to come in on Sundays and pretend like we don't have a life outside of this place. 
and to be squeaky clean looking people in here, but we don't even think about who we are out there. There's a connection between who we are there. And when we are the person we've been made to be out there, realizing that God has given us a unique calling and gift, that's when we can connect the dots. That's when we can make a difference. What if we did this? It puts Romans 12 into a whole new light where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies. Your body can only be presented by you. That's profound, isn't it? As a living sacrifice, as someone who is alive and, very, and, and has been given individual, specific, unique gifts. And by doing that, you are accepted by God. And you are holy to God. And that is worship. When you present your life as a vessel for Him. And yeah, you're going to go do some things that I wouldn't do because I'm not interested in that. But guess what? While you go do that, you're a living sacrifice for Him. Listen to this part. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Listen. Christianity is not, hey, we all have to look this way and walk this way and dress this way. That's conformity. Christianity is transformation. It's God has made me as a unique individual. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm in Christ. How can I be this person for His glory? Christianity isn't, oh, we all look the same. Christianity is, we're all different. We're all unique. And for the glory of God, we're all going to serve Him as he's called us to. That we might be able to discern the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Again, conform means become like somebody else. Transform means to become who we were always meant to be. Then we wouldn't be different on Sundays and every other day. There wouldn't be the difference between Saturday hobbies and Sunday habits. The person we are when we're doing the things that we love in our backyards, in our homes. It wouldn't be separate from the person we are at church or doing ministry. Every day, every situation would be a ministry opportunity. That's what God is telling us in Jeremiah 1. I made you, I appointed you, I ordained you. No, 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 I don't want to hear your excuses. That's the devil trying to get to you. You have been given my word in your mouth. Go and build up in a world that is knocking down. Church, if we would only acknowledge that God has formed who we are, we would begin to see the appointments He makes for us wherever we are. But unless we acknowledge that first, we'll never see it. God will put His words in our mouth. Will we let Him use us? When we realize that He's gifted us, it shouldn't be hard to let that gift go through us and bless and make our surroundings better. The tie bow on all this, this is what Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 7. You were bought with a price. Jesus died for who? You. To take who you were and make you who you were always meant to be. To cleanse you of sin, but to purify and amplify the individual, and the soul you were made to be. In whatever condition you were called, the person you are is the person God wants to use. Yes, he's got some things he's going to clean up and get out. 
But there's some passions in every one of you. There's some interest in every one of you. There's some potential that is only in you that only you can accomplish God's will with. So in that condition, in that state, in that place, remain with God and let him use you because he, would have, he didn't call you to use somebody else. Church, I hope this is encouraging to you because it surely has encouraged me throughout my life. It is the reason why I am unashamed, me, unashamedly me, through the filter and the lens of what Jesus Christ can do with somebody like me. So, and my goal and my passion is to inspire people like you to go and be you for the glory of God. Because God called you and he wants to use you. So let him do it. You'll be glad you did. And you'll find the purpose is just across the border. As you live your life, as he's called you to, in hobbies and interests and careers that God is leading you down, there's something you can do that I can't do, that nobody else can do. And somebody's waiting on you to tell them the same thing about what God has done and wants to do in them. So hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it helps you. Read this chapter, memorize these verses. I think it'll help us out. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you so much, Father, for this really time of, uh, of, of rally around your word. God, thank you that you fearfully and wonderfully make every one of us. God, everybody here tonight is different. They're all unique. Lord, we all have, our own, we all have unique sins, but we can all be universally forgiven in Christ. But we also have unique interests and unique passions and unique abilities and unique gifts. And God, I pray that we would understand that those were put in us by you. And you want to use us. And you want to call us to greater things every day. So Lord, whether it's in a gym or at work, in a place that we go and love, wherever you take us, wherever we go, help us to be who you've called us to be for your glory. Help us to understand that purpose is found by looking at what you've put in us and living out that gift to bless others and to make the world better. Father, thank you for Jeremiah, for his, how you formed and called him. And may you use his example to make a difference in all of us and through all of us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.